Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Podcast Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that highlights the role of women peace builders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to communities, eavesdrop on their communities and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States, their dreams and hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. This is She Talks Peace. Women have been assuming so many responsibilities. Uh, women work they provide security of the the economic survival of the family they do lots of things and often the husband does not does not do that so women should have the same rights and the same duties hello everyone salam salam welcome to another episode of she talks peace I'm Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, joining you from Manila. And here's my co-host. Hi, Amina. Hi, everyone. This is Ayesa. I'm a lecturer at Al-Bukhari International University in Kedah here in Malaysia. But now I'm visiting Kuala Lumpur. So physically, I'm now here in Kuala Lumpur. Hey, yes, I understand you're in KL for a very beautiful family occasion, a wedding in the family. Yeah, so one of our family members and nephew is getting married. So we're all gathering here in KL to do this wedding for tomorrow and Sunday. Yeah, so tomorrow is going to be the Akadnika, the, the rites in the masjid. And then after that, soon after the masjid event, and there'll be some eating time. You know, but a few a lot of, of the family members. Not yet a lot. It's going to be on the <laughs> Sunday when there's more eating. Yeah. More just eating. The, yeah, it's just the immediate family that's normally attending this Akadnika in the masjid. But on Sunday, that is really the big day when we welcome everybody, all the guests from both sides of the family, the bride and the groom. Yeah, so that's going to be the festivity on Sunday morning until afternoon. It's normally a whole day event. It's not a typical party where everybody sits down, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have a program. Malay weddings are like, you know, everybody, the, the minute that you are invited, let's say 10 o'clock, it starts on 10 o'clock, you come to the house or to the venue of the wedding and then you give your gift, your money gift. Mm -hmm. Normally, it's not 
the normal gifts, but you know, money donation. And then you sit down and you get to meet the family members and other friends, and then you eat. And then after that, you may opt to stay and wait for the the group, you know, the the bride and the groom and the entourage to come, or you may also just leave. So it's really like a come and go yeah. kind of party the whole day. It happens the whole day. Yeah. Normally, whole day. Malay weddings are big. It can number from 500 to 1,000 guests for the whole yeah, day. And it's a whole day whole day affair. So you don't get like 500 people at the same time. You know, they, they yes, just that's right. come and go. I was yeah. wondering, Ayesa, I mean, our wedding traditions or family traditions in uh, Southeast Asia are so much fun bringing clans together. I was just wondering what it was like in the Middle East and North Africa, whether they also had the same kind, you know, bringing the clans together, whole day affair, you come in and and, uh, you come out. But uh, yes, I guess not these days, huh? With all of the problems that we see in the Middle East and... uh, North Africa, like the country where our friend, uh, our guest is coming from, Tunisia. I always thought that Tunisia was so progressive. Mm-hmm. They had gender parity in their elections. Yes, right. right. But have you been reading about the current situation of uh, women's rights in Tunisia, Ayesa? I remember, though, when I visited the Nobel uh, Museum. Mm-hmm. the Nobel Museum in Oslo. And that was the first time I read up about Tunisia regarding the revolution, right? Mm. And they even, it was, they were even recognized that revolution as part of history of uh, the Peace Museum, the Nobel Peace Museum in Oslo. And then, of course, you know, I got to read up about, you know, the revolution and how it was such a good development you know, in that part of the world. You know, the Tunisians, uh, civil society, and the feminist groups were very much involved you know, in, in shaping the new government you know, and how they want to recreate their country. So right. it's sad, actually, that you know, uh, while reading up, updating myself about our guests for today, you know, I was actually surprised as well you know, that there are a lot of things that are happening now in Tunisia. It's like they are backsliding from backsliding. all those feminist movement and civil society, you know, vibrant civil society work that they have been known for. So I guess we will find out more from our guest. So shall we now introduce her? Yeah, because she's been she's been having um a tough time accepting what has happened to her beloved Tunisia. Mm-hmm. So let's mm-hmm. yeah, let let's um bring her on board, Ayesa. So why don't you introduce our friend? Our guest for today is Dr. Khadija Arfawi, and she's a well-known feminist a leader and a scholar from Tunisia, but she also studied and worked at George Washington University in the U.S. at some point, where she also earned her master's in philosophy degree way back in 1992. So Dr. Arfawi is actually a well-published scholar, you know, and I was looking at the internet surely I need to catch up on my reading. Now, she has done a PhD on the feminist movement early years in Indonesia and how they developed it to become uh, very progressive. And uh, she's also a member of notable organizations such as the Association of Tunisian Women for Research on Development or AFTURD, the Tunisian 
Association of Democratic Women, Amnesty International, and the Tunisian Association of the United Nations, and the Tunisian Association of Defense of University Values. For sure, she is the go-to person for any young uh, leaders you know, who would like to, you know, to develop further and become influential in, in that country, in Tunisia. So let us um, you know, listen more to our guest speaker for today. Her name, uh, again, is Dr. Khadija Arfawi. Welcome, Dr. Khadija, to She Talks Peace. Good morning. She Talks Peace. Good morning. How are you today? Hi, Khadija. How are you? Fine. I'm very happy to be uh, with you today. And I hope uh, our conversation will be useful to other people in the world. Any, any chat with you, Khadija, is always useful. But before we go into the heavy stuff, were you listening to Ayesa describing the wedding in Malaysia? Yes, was it I like was. When, when you got married? What was it like when you got married, Khadija? Uh, no, no, I just were listening to you. I remember that before that, my mother used to, uh, for weddings, because you said that people offered money. There were people who used to offer, most people offered money. I remember my mother, my mother married at age 13. Wow. But I am very proud to say that at age 13, she spoke and read Arabic and French. She would have a notebook where she wrote all the amounts of money that were offered. She would say, for example, uh, Amina Rasul gave uh, $10,000, for example, or $5,000, you know. Why did she do that? Because yeah. when, uh, when Amina Rasul would marry her son or daughter, she would give that money back uh, as a wedding yes. present, you see. Yes. So that uh, was something a practice. Yeah, absolutely true. But Khadija, it must be so different now because you were telling me about all of the problems that women are are having in, in Tunisia. And I guess joyful marriages gets to be more difficult to do. What's it like now, Khadija? I know that you were having a lot of problems with the changes that government has made in the election law, which used to be very progressive and really empowered women. So what's going on in Tunisia? Okay, without uh, repeating things, just to say that, that Tunisia has always, or Tunisian women, always been proud of uh, having the most progressive laws for women. Our first president from the very beginning had said that the handicap for the develop, uh, development of the country was the fact that women were prevented from joining the public sphere. So he opened the educational system and the, uh, the work sphere for women. And he said that a country could not develop without the participation of women. And from there, he did also in 1956 with the revolution, he promulgated the Code of Personal Status that offered revolutionary laws, like the end of polygamy. I don't know how many Muslim countries have uh, put an end to polygamy today. Not many. Not many, except for Turkey. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Except for Turkey. Also, the institution of judicial divorce. Because before that, when a man got angry, he would say to his wife, you are divorced. He said that three yes. times. The wife was divorced. Now, uh, Bourguiba in 1956 introduced judiciary divorce. Mm. A man could not divorce his wife mm. without <laughs> justice, you see. And then that kept going on. I'm not going to enumerate, but we had many, many gains that followed. And the last ones was in 2017 with the laws against the violence against women. Okay? And the late president, Qaid Sepsi, He was for, you know, working on that very difficult legislation, equal rights, inheritance rights, mm -hmm. which is something that Bourguiba had wanted to deal with, but he was prevented from the uh, Zaytuna University. So he had created a committee for studying some laws, and we were hoping for that to be promulgated. Unfortunately, he died after his death. The Islamists took over, and we don't know where we are standing now. After that, oh. we had now we have a president who was elected. He claims he is he was elected with seventy-seven think percent. So, and he is a constitutional lawyer. That is, he taught, used to teach constitutional law at the university. But he sounds sometimes more Muslim, more, more Islamist than the Islamists themselves. However, things have changed, as you know, as you may know. Yeah. Women have been assuming so many responsibilities. Uh, women work, they provide security of the, the economic survival of the family. They do lots of things. And often the husband does not, does not do that. So... Women should have the same rights and the same duties. So now, nowadays, nowadays, what's happening? Our president has um, changed the legislation. He is ruling the country. He has dismissed parliament and made laws that uh, allowed people to present uh, themselves their candidacy. And well, we don't know them. In fact. We have one person ruling the country, only one person. That's it. It's becoming more, it's becoming more authoritarian. It's really using his yeah, oh yeah. knowledge yeah, of definitely. the constitution to move you back, right? Yeah. 
Definitely. But Dr. Khadija, can we step back in time, you know, uh, knowing that, you know, even before, you know, you, there were a lot of challenges for women in Indonesia. How did you end up becoming a, a feminist yourself? I never thought I would become a feminist. I would maybe I felt like a human right, but I am a person who believes in faithfulness. I am faithful to my friends. I'm faithful to my country. I'm faithful. I was to my husband. Uh, he was everything to me. And when he uh, met another woman, and he forgot about everything that three children that we had. And then I started remembering. It, is, it doesn't mean I didn't see the difficulties that she had as a woman in a man's world. And when, when I divorced, I did not know about my rights. However educated I was. Mm-hmm. I had a, you know, BA, M, M, field, but I didn't know my rights. I didn't know about. And then, of course, when I went to America after... I attended courses in women's studies with Professor Phyllis Palmer, and I started uh, learning, and I worked on, I knew about American feminists, also British feminists, and also I started learning about early Tunisian feminists. And you know the early Tunisian feminists, that is before independence, before 1956, they belong to bourgeois, as in any country. They always, you needed that background for bourgeoisie. And they um, had were open-minded fathers or husbands sometimes, or brothers, who allowed them to have an education, even private tutors at home. Mm-hmm. So these were the first women who started the movement and after independence, we had uh, the Tunisian uh, Association of, of, but it is a governmental organization of women created by the president himself, with most of the women were relatives of his. And the women who started meeting after that, we knew, they knew, were, and there was among them, that was in the 1980s already, we knew we have. Uh, code of personal status that was unique in the Arab Middle Eastern world, but there were things that did not sound right. They, Rogibas himself has said, I offered this code of personal status on a tray, on the silver tray. Women, Tunisian women did not march, did not ask for the gains for the, that I gave them. But we felt it was still patriarchal system and we wanted to have our voice. We could not have any free autonomous organization until the death of Bourguiba mm-hmm. and he was replaced after a coup. The, the second president, 1987, two years later, he wanted to show he was a Democrat and he allowed these two organizations you mentioned earlier to be created. By the way, Khadija, when did you start marching in the streets and protesting? Before the Arab Spring, right? You were already lobbying government, yeah? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yes. I remember marching in the streets, uh, for example, for the Palestinians, when there was something about Palestinians. The government would always have a group in front of us, before us, to mask. 
or whatever we would be saying, and to put themselves, yes, we marched in the streets before. At what age was your first experience of marching on the streets? How old were you then? Oh, I was, when I started, I was in my, uh, in my 40s. Okay. So to follow up Ayesa's question, so you really started becoming an activist for women's rights, for human rights, when you were already in your 40s. And that's yes. because you, your eyes were opened after you divorced your husband. Yes. And you found out that you actually had rights. Yes. And then what happened? You stormed, you stormed the parliament, Khadija. You know, in some countries, Amina, in some countries in the Arab world, I don't know whether how many women from the Arab world are watching, but uh, in many countries, when a woman uh, divorced, she would find herself in the street. She had yeah. no means of survival. Right, right. I was in a, at a meeting in, um, I think it was in Greece, a few years ago, maybe 15 years ago or something. And we were from uh, several countries from the Middle East. We said we were against polygamy. And I remember there were professors from Iraq mm -hmm. who said, how can you be against polygamy? If you are, I can tell you something. I, I lived, I was there. I mean, I was not, mm -hmm. it's not something that was re reported mm -hmm. to me. If you do not support polygamy, then you are supporting prostitution. No, 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 you have to you explain. Have you have to, no, no, but I have to explain. No, no, uh -huh. we have to explain. Because at that time, the situation, you know what the situation was like in Iraq? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. After, you know, the invasion of Iraq after by the, the Americans. Yeah, yeah. There were many women, many widows mm -hmm. with children who were not allowed to work. Mm -hmm. What could they do to survive with their children? So they accepted if a man married them with the Orfi marriage, Orfi wedding, which is illegal in Tunisia. See? And accepting this uh, was a protection for the children. Do you understand my point? Yeah, because that's what's uh, happening now in, in Afghanistan, because they stopped the women from going to school and they stopped women from working. Yes. Now the parents have no choice but to offer very young girls in marriage yeah. very old men. Mm. And they are selling. They are selling. Support the family. Otherwise, the family would starve. But the thing about Tunisia, you have progressive laws. Yes. But how can the government enforce those laws? So, for instance, you divorced and you are entitled to monthly payments for you and for the support of your children. How does the government run after the husband to pay? Yes, yes, the, the government does so, yes. We have a legislation for that, yes. Because sometimes, you know, like uh, in, in Singapore, for instance, they have progressive laws, right, Ayesa, where uh, the wife is entitled to support when they divorce. but it's very difficult to find a husband so that they will continue to pay every month. So there may be support in the government, but implementing the law 
is something else entirely. So you have progressive law, but the women still suffer because they cannot collect on alimony and child support. So is that the same also in, in Tunisia? Well, there are women. I am thinking of my uh, maid, for example. She's divorced. Her husband seldom helps her. She doesn't want to bring a suit against him. But she asks him sometimes. She tells him, you know, your son needs this or your son needs that. She's the one who is providing for him. For example, she tells me meat has become so expensive and my son needs proteins for his development. Now, the government is here, but you know, you need money to pay for a lawyer. Right. And sometimes right. women do not have the means to pay for a lawyer. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Dr. Khadija, if you know if you are going to to give just quickly enumerate some some lessons you know from your experiences of among Tunisian women comes to pursuing women's rights in Tunisia, what can you identify as like top of mind suggestions or advices to other Muslim societies, especially here in our region in Southeast Asia, who are still you know, grappling, you know, how to push for the feminist movement. Whenever you buy something, have it under your name and hide the receipts at your employer's house. So this is what I could, it, it is economic security, you see. Yeah, and what can you do security. as a woman if you do not have this sec security? So what you're saying is you may be in love, but do not forget to take care of your rights, especially exactly. your property rights. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly, yeah. So tell us, Khadija, in this, the changing laws in Tunisia, which now prevents women from really fully participating in government and in elections, you know, that the loss of your gender parity rights, what are the women's organizations like yours? What are you doing? to really counter this move by government to lessen the rights of women. But you know that uh, that uh, the one, our last government has changed this parity law. Mm -hmm. The parity law was good because it was always a man, a woman, a man, a woman. This, mm -hmm. uh, as a result, as a result, we have the law of participation of women in election has dwindled. Mm -hmm. And as a result, we have less women in parliament, or many less women in parliament than we did in the past, because this parity <laughs> has disappeared. Yeah. See? What are you doing about it, Khadija? Are you pushing for more, you know, uh, repealing the law, amending the law? 
to bring back gender parity oh. in Tunisia or nothing you can do? We are we are organizing seminars, we are organizing meeting. It's really unfortunate, Ayesa, right? That you see this move by democratically elected Muslim leaders and they're moving towards becoming more authoritarian. They're learning how to manipulate their parliament. They're changing the constitution to allow themselves to to remain in, in power. And all the while, sectors like the women's sectors suffer. You lose the rights that you had fought for after, you know, after independence, after the Arab Spring. So it's quite disheartening, Ayesa. But um, anyway, as long as there are women like Khadija, then we are more or less sure that there are voices that can be heard. Oh, by the way, Khadija, you were jailed, weren't you? No, I was not jailed. Oh, you were not? I was, you were uh, going to be, you were yeah. charged and you were, you were going to be yeah. jailed. What yeah. happened then? Yeah. That was the first because the the, the last um, seminar I attended, organized by uh, Women's Voices Aswat Nisa, was about violence on the net against women, and I told them that I was the first to give a net that was in two thousand and nine, and Ben Ali was president, and he was a very authoritarian president, and my activities with the leftist groups made me. A target. Finally, I was sentenced to uh, eight months, but without, uh, how do you say, without execution, without being, uh, yeah. What do you mean that you were sentenced for eight months? You did not go to jail? Yeah, yeah. Well, there is a suspended. It was a suspended sentence. I see. You know what okay. suspended? Yeah. Okay. A suspended sentence. Yeah. Okay. But it okay. remains in your files. That's right. I it remains see. in your files. That's right, yeah. 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 So now they can pick yeah. you up because you have a record. You have a police record. It's like a warning, Ayesa, right? Uh-huh. Okay. Dr. Khadija, I'm afraid that, you know, we have all these exciting uh, stories from you, but we need to round up our show for today. Time and, flies. But I'm, okay. but I'm sure that, you know, uh, this is not the first interview that we will have with you. So as your final message, Dr. Khadija, I think our audience would like to hear from you. Like, what would be your aspirations or your hopes for the future of women's rights in Tunisia? In short, what are your hopes for the future of uh women's rights movements in Tunisia and all over the world? I remain uh, optimistic, but you know, when you think uh, Tunisia is not the only country, but even in America where they're trying to uh, abolish uh, abortion, for example, the right of uh, women to uh, abortion. And it's, it's not only in the Arab world that uh, we have problems. But I remain optimistic as far as Tunisia is concerned. We are, we are in a tight corner, if you like, but wonderful women. And one of our leaders is uh, in France now because she was going to be arrested. And I will give you her name, Bushra Belhaj Hamida. She is a lawyer. She was a president of the, uh, one of the president of the Tunisian Association of Democratic Women. She was a member of parliament. 
she was at the head of the Colib created by late President Qaida Sibti for introducing more rights to women. And we have Sana Ben Ashur, a jurist, and we have a number of other women. I'm sorry and apologize for naming them all. We have a number of women fighting for progress, for women's voices, for women's rights to equal rights. So I remain optimistic and uh, we will never forget that we have rights and uh, we need to be united. Women from Tunisia, women from North Africa, women in the Middle East, women from all over the world, respecting our differences. But the main thing is that we need to have those economic rights, political rights, social rights, and we will get them, whatever, however hard they may be to get. Thank you. Thank you so much, Khadija. And I'm really completely amazed at your optimism and your desire to really move on ahead in spite of the fact that, oh my goodness, Khadija, you have a police record. I am proud to have this police record. It shows that I am I am an activist, you know. I got That's it right. because I am an activist. It's a um, badge of honor. Yeah. It's a badge of it's honor. A badge exactly. Of it's a badge exactly. of honor. Exactly. Yeah. So to all of our listeners, you heard Dr. Khadija Arfawi, and uh, let me tell you, uh, it's, it's amazing if you can actually have a conversation face-to-face uh, -face with her, Khadija and her badge of record, the police record. So thank you so much, Khadija, for joining us today. And we do hope, I echo Ayesa's, uh, what Ayesa said, I do hope that we can have another conversation with you sometime in, in the near future. Ayesa? So we end our show, but then we would like to remind our uh, audience that you can actually send us an email at sheettalkspeace at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm sure you will be able to use your social media and find us online. So please give us your comments or suggestions, you know, if you would like us to discuss a particular topic or invite a particular guest speaker. So again, uh, from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, until next time, this is She Talks Peace. Bye, Amina. Bye, Dr. Khadija. Bye, Ayesa. Bye, Dr. Khadija. This is Amina Rasul saying bye for now. Join us again next week. And I better get off before it starts raining again in humid Manila. Bye. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.